been so wild lately. He doesn't seem to listen. He doesn't obey my commands, and we can't even bribe him with trees. He's gotten so out of hand, he may even have to be put down. God is not the problem here. The problem is the people who want to be the leader of the pack. We reintroduce God. We retrain people. You're listening to The God Whisperers. Sounds of, uh, what's his name? Kenny Ellis. There it is. <laughs> this is the God Whispers. I'm Craig D'Onofrio. I'm Bill Swirla. It's funny. I just looked at his name before I drew a blank, which is my name. New. My name? No, no, oh. no. Kenny Ellis. <laughs> this is probably the most hip version of Dreidel, this is, Dreidel, Dreidel, Yeah, Dreidel. it's, it's, uh, it's, it's got a little swing to it. Yeah. So who knew? Kenny Ellis. Who knew? Kenny Ellis. We are in the midst of Hanukkah. Hanukkah. What? Uh, I, I forgot what date is. Second, third, uh, let's third see, day? It just started on Tuesday, so this would be the third day of Hanukkah. I'll call up my calendar well, program here, see if, see if it's... After, uh, after sundown, it'll be the third day, right? Because the day starts at sundown. Exactly. Now, the, that is correct. So... Um, after sunset today, they will be into the, the Hanukkahs will be into the third day. <laughs> the third day. They got eight days. We got yes. 12 days of Christmas. We've outdone them. Eight swinging days of, of. Nobody nobody I know celebrates the 12 days of Christmas, but. Uh... I do. I'm sticking with my uh, with my idea of you buy you buy your friends something cheap yeah. for the first day of Christmas, and then you hit the after Christmas sales. Sweet. You know, I've not seen Hanukkah. That's weird. The uh, the the uh, the Macintosh calendar program lists Christmas Day and New Year's Day, but it doesn't bring up Hanukkah on the uh, on on the calendar on iCalendar. The Maccabean, uh, the what? great yeah, the great the great 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 Maccabean revolt. For for the next eight days, you shall re- refer to your MacBook as the Maccabee book. The Macca- the, the book of Maccabees. The, the yes, Maccabee. The- yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's named after. Aha. I'm, on my, I'm on my third book of Maccabee now, but uh, yeah, well, hopefully this one will last. You, you have bad you have bad luck with that stuff. So actually, um, you know, I, I've been I've been at it for a while. I think uh, within about uh, ten or twelve years, this is my third book of Maccabee. So it's it's not that bad. I get more usage out of it, you know, more longevity than a Windows machine. Yeah, well, you know, it's all the same parts. The the weak link in all computers is the hard drive. That's that's uh, in fact mine mine has been 
I, I can. I, I'm now at the. I've, I've run enough computers now that I know the sign of a hard drive starting to fail. You know, they you say see it, it coming. Yeah, they say it fails all, all of a sudden without warning. That's true sometimes, but not always. Um, I have an iMac on my desk, uh, and at both my desks at, at home and at church, and uh, iMacs tend to run hot. And and heat and vibration are the big enemies of of your hard drive. Uh, I have a friend who basically says if it's in a laptop, replace it every two years. Don't wait Probably, for it. don't yeah. wait for it to go bad. Just replace it. I'm going to take. Right. I'm taking my iMac in. You know they always run diagnostic tests. Oh, you don't need a new hard drive. I don't care. It's five years old or four years old. It's slowing down. I can tell it's slowing down. Uh, just put a new one in. You know, sp- spare me the crash when I least gonna when I least need it. But that's like the number one thing that goes on these things is the hard drive. Yeah, and it's terrifying when it goes if you don't have a good backup. You you have to have the backup. Oh man. But even with that, when you get a new hard drive, it's just a pain in the neck. It's a lot of work. Um, Because you have to go re-register all of your software and all that. Yeah. Well, actually, the way you get around that is you you pay extra or you do this on your own. And and you make an actual clone of your, your, your disk before it fails. Um, and usually, see, that's the other advantage of being proactive. If the disk is still working, what they do is they slap that into a, a housing. And those things always run better in a housing than they do in the computer itself. Um, and uh, they'll just make a, a clone of it. So it's a bit-for-bit copy. It takes a long time. But then you don't have to, you don't have to reconfigure. It's exactly what it was when you brought it in. Uh, it co- it so costs some it, change, but, but it's, it's really some, worth it. Uh, if you have some weird permission problems or yep. something like that, that'll come over with it. Oh, every yeah, everything. They'll, they'll do a vi- <laughs> they'll do a virus check just to make sure that you don't bring some some interesting friends along with it. But right. no, it's just an exact copy of what you've got, including the flotsam and jetsam that may be going along. But it does save you a lot of third party app issues. Hey, as long as we're on Hanukkah, why don't we why don't we go to that uh, that article you dug up in the RNS, uh, the Religion News we, Survey? Yes, uh, you know I, I want to mention. Before before we get into this, yeah. that this is the holiday edition of the God Whisperer. That's right. It is not the Christmas edition. Uh, we will today be talking about Hanukkah. We'll be talking about Festivus. Festivus. We'll probably talk about for the Christmas. rest of us. Kwanzaa. Uh, perhaps the secular solstice. The we solstice, not that. to be ignored. Yeah, the that, secular solstice. The most the ancient. That of is those the, who who reject religion. But that's the earliest of winter celebrations. That's the yes. ancient one. If you want ancient, if you want authentic, if you want the oldest and the goldest, it's winter solstice, baby. That's that's where you go. So uh, they got that yeah. too. Yeah, but don't then, forget Kwanzaa I, now. I, Kwanzaa's well, I big. I don't have anything on Kwanzaa today. It's uh, it runs that last week of December uh, through uh, January first. Here's here's something that before we get into anything else, I'm not oh. going to actually get into these two articles. I don't think we'll get to them today, but I, I just want to read the titles because they're ones in my right hand, ones in my left. Okay. Hate campaigns target atheists, humanists, and liberals as distinct minorities. So <laughs> these are these are people who are now uh, you can hate on, and uh, you know you're, you're a uh, right wing nut if you. Well, what are, are they? Are they a protected them. species now, so that well, you you can't now, hate on them, or what's, now what's the? If, 
if there's a hate campaign, obviously there must be something like that. Then in my other hand, I have... What's yes. the evidence for a hate campaign? Now, I can understand like in Islamic nations, uh, they, 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 don't look, they don't look too kindly on uh, other religions or non-religion at all. Uh, but but uh, is the, are they talking in this country or where, where are they talking here? As I said, I'm not getting into the articles because I haven't read them, but I I just want to talk about the titles here because, in my other hand, I have, yes, atheists can be fundamentalists. Of course. Aren't fundamentalists by distinction haters? I mean, by definition? No. Well, in the media, if you're a fundamentalist, doesn't that... That's a media media correlation, a fundamentalist. I mean, that comes from, you know, your basic sort of... um, Yeah, but these these are two articles that are in the media, so I'm I'm going with their definitions of things. I like like the opening sentence in that article. Fundamentalism is an ideological category, has historically been limited to religion. Now, you see, they're, they're caught there. The author, Chris Stedman, is caught because... Um, atheism is a religion, or let's put it this way, atheism exists in the religion department. Um, so it's in that category of beliefs. It's it's the belief in non-belief, or it's the belief there is no God. Or, you know, you can't just simply assert there is no God. That's a statement of faith, not a fact. Um, and so... Uh, but but I like that. I, I would I would run with that. Fundamentalism yeah. is an ideology. It's when something has become an ism, atheism, Lutheranism. Yeah. Lutheranism can be an ideology rather than a confession of the Christian faith. It can be an ideology. And, you notice there's no such thing as Christianism. I want to point out that the author of this is the executive director of the Yale Humanist Community. Yeah. And I think he's, he's uh, yeah, he was a former Harvard University chaplain. So uh, oh. <laughs> we... we <laughs> that, ha- that, that happens. That's kind of unfortunate. What's we it? have an atheist chaplain who's writing this. Bummer when that this. happens, isn't it? Right. So anyway, you know what that is. You know what that is. Two articles seem to stand in uh, in juxtaposition. You know, when when uh, when a Christian chaplain goes atheist or or something like that. You know what that is. That's that's the that's the guy who spent uh, too much time in the kitchen of of a restaurant and can no longer eat at restaurants. It's like he <laughs> he knows too much. He's seen too much. Um, He's actually made the sausage himself. I, yes, and he knows, and and he wouldn't feed that to his dog. Uh, and and so you know that's the problem is too much inside baseball. I you you know it as well as I do. You work in the international center. You know I'm a professional Christian too. Um, you know that that when you're the clergy and and the heavily involved laity, they see too much, and it's very easy to become cynical, jaded, and even just to fall from faith, uh, because you're 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 hung up in all these things temporal. You're you're caught up in the temporal side of the church, the left hand side of the church, and uh, you completely lose lose track, lose sight, lose faith sight of uh, of the the whole right hand side of the church the you know the the true part of the church namely the the kingdom of christ and our association with christ by faith um but it's very i think it's very easy i i i'm, I'm totally sympathetic especially after 23 years in the ministry at my age i understand how somebody goes goes off the rails like that so are you saying that you're an atheist now is that what you're no doing? no you're no no at? no no but but you know, the thing that keeps me from going down that road is is um, a sense of humor, not taking oneself too seriously, and not taking the temporal side of church seriously. You know, we always talk about um, the visible church or the invisible church or the church uh, that's manifested and the church that's hidden, uh, however you want to say that. But the church has two faces. 
Um, and the, the, the from above view is, you know, it, that's our union with Christ through faith. It's faith alone in Christ alone. But from below, it's this really messy institution. And, and yeah, it's just a mess. The church is a mess. And it's not, getting, it's not improving with age. It's getting worse. And, uh, and so if you're, if you're distracted by that, I was just on the phone with somebody the other day, uh, talking about a vacancy in their congregation. And, you know, I had to reassure this person that, that, Hey, the call process, it's messy. It's ugly. There's politicking, there's maneuvering, there's chess playing going on, but don't think for a second, God can't work in with and under that mess. You know, God works in with and under everything. So don't worry about that so much. And, and I, you know, I hearken back to 2 Corinthians. When I'm weak, then I'm strong, Paul says. God's power is perfected in weakness. I think God is cool with a messed up church. Sure. Because, I, you, you know, know, it's... And like I've said many times to God, it's your church. You can clean it up if you want. <laughs> in a heartbeat. It's not really my job to fix the church. My in a, job is in a to heartbeat. preach the gospel and minister the sacraments. But I like, uh, I like Stedman's opening line here. Fundamentalism is an ideological category. Um, that broadens the definition. It takes it out of that realm of Christian fundamentalists. Or, you know, we usually talk about the fundagelicals or that. And, and I think that harkens back. I think the first use of that was somebody articulated kind of the four or the five basic principles, the fundamentals of Christianity. Of course, we Lutherans wouldn't agree with those, but we have our own set too, uh, justification by faith alone being kind of the uh, the, the core and chief one. But, um, but I like this broadening of the notion to an ideological cari- uh, category. It's where, it's, it's where um, viewpoints, perspectives, worldviews, philosophies become ideologies. Um, and certainly guys like uh, Hitchens, uh, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, uh, these guys are ideologues. And, uh, you know, because they're not content simply with making their case, but they actively work toward the expulsion of all religion from every facet of life. Uh, they, they view religion as, as you know, just kind of a mental defect in people who believe. See, that's, that's moving into ideology. Marxism is an ideology. Right. Communism is an ideology. Anything that has the, the, the suffix ism after it is an ideology and is not good. It's not good. It, it changes men for the worse. So Lutheranism makes you worse? Yeah. That Luth- <laughs> Lutheranism is a very bad thing. It's the Lutheran confession, which is nothing else than the Christian confession, and it turns it into the sectarianism. This, you know, we alone have it right. We alone have it pure. We're the only ones uh, going to heaven. Uh, our wagons are circled inward. We don't associate with the outside. That's ism behavior. I would it, rather say we have it more right, not that we're the only ones that have it right, but we yeah. have it more right. We're right mostly. So, and, yeah. you know, it's, it's like powder milk biscuits. They're pure mostly. But, but um, yeah, L- no, Lutheranism, Catholicism, uh, Anglicanism. It's, these are all ideologies, and they're all bad. It's a bad thing. Um, the Lutheran confessions are a good thing. Uh, to be confessional, that is to maintain these confessions as your own is a good thing, but confessionalism is an ideology again. It, it's, it's basically an us against them, uh, good versus evil kind of thing. It's category thinking. So I appreciate what he's doing because he's recognizing that the atheists, the new atheists, have an ideology. 
And, and, yeah, and that you, needs to be flagged. So I think this is a great, this is really a, a great article. You, you could say also many of them have an orthodoxy. And that, that's uh, right. Yeah. That, that, that's right. It's like you, you can't say anything even remotely religious because that violates the canons of atheism. Now, speaking of weird religion, and it has nothing to do with this, in the God Whisperers Lounge, there's a scientific survey underway. Oh. The question is, what is your favorite Lutheran video series or podcast? <laughs> oh. The options are the God Whisperers or the God Whisperers, and the God Whisperers are now lagging by one. So it, it's... Uh, Vote. It's Come on. Neck. Come on. We need a campaign here. This is uh, plus or minus, I believe, uh, 28 at this point. Did so. you see where we placed like fourth or fifth in a, in a Facebook group? Uh, the, there was, uh, I, I suppose It's supposedly devoted to confessional Lutheranism, but it, yeah. it, it's mostly about anything but confessional <laughs> speaking of isms um yeah but we placed like fourth next to some really insipid shows so i i don't know i i'm not and actually when i established this survey i use the same exact wording as that survey as a matter of fact i just copied it, I, 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 it. I noticed that so, I, yeah. I noticed how you did that um I, not that i'm in it for the fame or the celebrity I, I i really you know we have to recall ourselves to our roots um the, the god whispers is anti-celebrity uh we it's the seinfeld of christian radio it is and it's and the show about nothing we're intentionally irrelevant we're intentionally self-deprecating uh we're intentionally snarky and we really don't care i mean we we just we we have ceased to care at some some really deep level but we care deeply about the things that matter to us like the gospel but the other stuff the, the all the all the the stuff of of popular consumerist celebrity Christianity, this is this is intended to be a satire and a mockery of that. Let, let's face it. When you and I stop having a good time doing it, the, the show is dying. I mean, that's it's dead. Oh, if that was the criteria, I would, so, have, been, I would have been gone about a year and a half ago. It's Kurt. all about me, me giggling and uh, throwing in some gospel. <laughs> and, that's basically it. And me just talking incessantly. There's Inquire that no more, you feral beast. Oh, yeah, there's that, too. Uh, so anyway, are you celebrating Hanukkah with with your lovely Hanukkah. lovely bride Paula? See, this is one of those things that uh, I took up on my other show, and uh, we won't name it. But no, uh, it's, it's kind of like your other it's kind of like show. Yale versus hey, Harvard. Speaking or of Cambridge Craig, versus Oxford, you I've know, noticed the some, other show. And not that I listened to any of your stuff, but 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 I noticed something on the um, the lead-ins to this show. Yeah. That you have, uh, you seem to have about four different radio personalities. You have, I, you I, have different voices. You got this like pious voice, which sounds I've like it sounds like you're conducting. Those. It sounds like you're conducting services in a nursing home. So a, you have got, you heard the uh, the the promo that I do for evening and morning prayer on KFU? That's the one I'm talking about. I, I almost vomit every time. Wow! I hear that because I mean is. that thing. That thing is that thing is horrific. But after it, it, I recorded that and I heard it back, I was like, oh my gosh, that's so bad. That's, I have that's, to put it on. That's Craig playing the <laughs> playing the part of the pious pastor. I mean, oh, it's sappy, and I know you personally. Personally, I know that I know it's an act. See, so <laughs> that's it's happy. And, but I've noticed that all your all your shows have a different persona. So you are a true radio professional. You can well, be and- you can be anything you want whenever you need to be. I'm an actor. I'm a thespian is what I am. Well, yeah, no need to go down that road. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I am. 
<laughs> you're, you're the Bill Shatner of radio. <laughs> I may just start speaking hymns. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be hot. That would be Sprach, Sprachzunge singing with, with, with hymns. That would be terrific. Actually, for, for, I think I, I might be onto something. The hymnal for the tone deaf. You know, this is, guys like my dad. Would have loved it because my dad only sang two notes. He had a slightly higher one and a slightly lower one, but he he had no musical ear the at all. Hymnal for the rest of us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh man, that's hey, cutting let, edge. Let's let's do get into Chanaka though, because I, as right. I was saying. I contend that it is not inappropriate for Christians to uh, celebrate. I'm not going to say observe necessarily in a religious sense. What's the but difference? Celebrate Hanukkah. Uh, because this is actually part of our heritage. We are the new Israel, and this is part of Israel's heritage. This helped set the stage for John the Baptizer. This helped set the stage for Jesus. And I think that it, it is uh, well within our our purview, I guess you could say, to to, to not necessarily as I said, religiously observe it, but to simply celebrate it as part of our history. <laughs> I, I love that. I love that distinction between religious observation and celebration. It, well, it, it's the religious all... observation means that I would have to give up bacon for eight days out of the year because oh, wait, wait, wait. they don't basically do... Jewish. Oh, oh, yeah, oh, oh, I see. No, you don't have to be like Jewish for eight days. But yeah, I, I think I really think I've I know I know mixed marriage couples where where one is at least culturally, maybe even religiously Jewish. And the there's Christian, whether culturally or not, I'm not sure. But but uh, uh, but so they'll have the Christmas tree, and then they'll have the uh, or sometimes they call it the Hanukkah bush, which is kind of funny, but it, it doesn't really make any sense whatsoever. And then they have the menorah, you know, with the eight candles on it, and uh, and uh, I, I don't see anything. First of all, Christmas tree isn't Christian, you know, necessarily. Although it kind of is. I've been reading up on the Christmas tree, and and it, it's it's actually more Christian than I realized. <laughs> um, but uh, but there's nothing unChristian about Hanukkah. Right. You know, it, it comes from the before the intertestamental period. You can read about it in the Second Maccabees. Well, as a matter of fact, uh, because of its lateness after Malachi, I, I believe that the Jews have to turn to that Apocrypha in the middle of the Bible there to get their own tradition for the most part. Well, uh, but that, that but Talmudic, that, Talmudic tradition, but that doesn't come along. The uh, Apocrypha, you know, like six hundred. The newsflash: the the Apocrypha is Jewish. There, there is well, no, there is yeah, no Christian, not, there's no Christian apocrypha. It's okay? not it's part Jewish. of their writings, is it? It's, it's, it's sort of they, deutero, they it's, it's deuterocanonical in the same way. It, it's look, it's the same. It, they hold it the same way that Christians who hold the apocrypha hold it. You remember, well, it's, it, these are Jewish works. These, these come from the period between Malachi yes. and 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 where the Gospels pick up. But so, do those books fall within their holy writings? Yeah, y yes and no, in the same way that if you, you were to ask, you know, is the Apocrypha at the same level as canonical scripture, the answer is kind of a yes and no. They're sort of secondarily canonical. Uh, and it depends. That, that's, that, those are the Greek Jews. Of the, you know, the, the Hebraists had a different sense of that. Uh, but but the, the, the Greeks had, had, I mean, they had their own version of the Bible, which is where all this comes from. <laughs> but it, it's Jewish. 
But it but is you, Jewish, definitely. You, but I'm just saying they have to like go rooting through the Catholic Bible. Or so, the, so the deal, of course, is Ju- Judah Maccabee, uh, Maccabee, Maccabee is, um, That's the Latin version. But Judah Maccabee is 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 this great military leader, tough guy, and uh, and he gets he gets basically a bunch of people that get together and uh, recapture the temple. Uh, which had been co-opted, taken over by Antiochus Epiphanes IV, and desecrated. Uh, set up a statue to Zeus uh, in the holy place. Uh, slaughtered pigs slaughtered on pigs the altar of the and, Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so um, that's really what Hanukkah celebrates: a military victory and and the um, the the rededication of the temple after its desecration. Uh, there's a legend that uh, that says that. Um, that God sustained the oil in the lamp uh, for eight nights, hence the uh, the eight candle menorah. Uh, but that that's kind of the, apparently, according to this article, that's a that's a, a later addition. Um, you know, just kind of like wine at the Passover is a later addition. It's it's not in Exodus twelve. There's no wine in the institution of the Passover. Um, so the the oil the, the the oil story comes later, six centuries later in the Talmud. We we need to go ahead and take a break right about here. Can you believe we're pretty much halfway through the? We had a great already? time, and we haven't even done housekeeping. No, we'll be back after this. Stay tuned. How'd you like to spend Christmas on Christmas You're listening to the God Whispers. I'm Craig D'Onofrio. I like that a lot. That was that was great. I <laughs> got, got the gong, you know. That's nice. What was that? Uh, oh, Christmas tree. Why? I don't even know. Oh, you don't know. It's it's uh, it's a compilation album, and the artists aren't really mentioned. It's weird. So uh, back to back to Hanukkah here. Um, just the eight points, and there are eight. That's kind of nice because of the eight candles, the eight days. See By the way, it, it's a nice it's a nice calendar thing. Now that moves around because the because the the Jewish celebrations, holy days, are uh, on a lunar calendar. So they're going to kind of bump around. Um, you know, much the way Easter bumps around, uh, uh, and so it comes at different times. Whereas Christmas is a fixed feast day, the twenty fifth of December. So uh, it it stays constant. So sometimes Hanukkah overlaps with Christmas. Sometimes it doesn't. This is a particularly good year if you're inclined to celebrate because you can celebrate the eight days of Hanukkah and then take in the twelve days of Christmas kind of right afterwards. So you got a full twenty days of stuff going on. It, it's it's great stuff. Well, you could you know, fill what, a month what, with stuff. One of the other things that I, I'd like to point out here is that Hanukkah and Advent tend to overlap also. So if you have one of those advent calendars with, you know, you open the door and there's a little piece of chocolate every day, you get to compound that with the the chocolate coins of Hanukkah. And and so your kids can be extra sugared up and extra crazy this time of year. 
There you go. Uh, yeah, watch, just, watch, watch yeah. those carbs. Watch the carbs, man. I'm, I'm just saying, you, just, did, just you know, maybe this is one the of the reasons that our kids are so fat is uh, Hanukkah and Advent overlap. Yeah, that 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 and about three, <laughs> three cokes a day will will do that. Um, so uh, this this article eight eight factoids for Hanukkah. One, the miracle of oil. It's legendary. Comes later. Uh, not in not in the book of Maccabees. Uh, this is a thing I didn't know. If the oil story is not true, why did the Jews celebrate the rededication of the temple for eight days? Uh, because they had been too busy fighting the Greeks in the autumn, and they had not celebrated the eight-day festival of Sukkot, which the festival of booths, which falls earlier in the year. So, so it's kind of like a better late than never sort of. <laughs> it's it's a compilation holiday. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is, and I, I can appreciate. It. It's like President's Day. Okay, you just kind of. Just jam them all together. Uh, right. Third, the Maccabees got screwed, they said. The, the original account of the Maccabean revolt appears in the book of Maccabees, but the, it's not in the Hebrew Bible, um, though it is in the, the Septuagint. So the Greek the Greek version of the, the Hebrew Bible is it does have it, um, as it also then... That's what it's doing in, in, um, in like... Wait, uh, wait, wait. The it Catholic does turn scripture. up in the Septuagint? Sure. Oh, I didn't realize that those apocryphal books were in the Septuagint. That's where, that's where they come from. I don't know. I you know, that's know. where you get the, the the different version of Esther, where they actually put God back in because they didn't like the oh. fact that God wasn't in there. Apparently, the Hanukkah story is a bit too violent, <laughs> and so you know, for I, their I, own and and there's probably a lot of as it points out, there were political and religious reasons they weren't too crazy about the legacy of the Maccabees. You know, the Maccabees for it depends how you look at. It. I mean, they could have been viewed as kind. Of like the way we view terrorists today, too. You know, th- these guys were these were out there, but they were they were military warriors, and uh, and so um, you know, as, as this thing points out, um, you know, Mel Gibson actually would have a field day. You know, Braveheart looked looked gory. Uh, just take the Maccabee boys oh, yeah. on, and you got you got one heck of a movie there. Um, that the, would be uh, a pretty cool movie, actually. I, this is interesting. The, Except with Mel Gibson, he'd want to do it all in Hebrew, which would be irritating. <laughs> yeah, and he he and the Jews don't get along really well. Um, There's that too. <laughs> the the uh, it says it says that the 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 uh, it was popular in the Middle Ages to uh, dramatize the story of the Maccabees in theatrical productions, kind of like tra- chancel dramas. That those were popular too. Pat, the, you know, reenact the passion stuff like that. Uh, they were so gory, they had to invent a new word to describe them, macabre. Ooh, that comes from I, I'd Maccabees. have to fact check that, but but I think that's a, but that would be interesting. Macabre comes from Maccabee, supposedly. So we may want to run a, a fact check, or some some of our listeners with too much time in their hands will... will yeah, we we will, have some pretty... Uh, I have to read this paragraph just out loud. For centuries, Jewish men had remained indoors studying Talmud and having no way to develop their bodies other than lifting Torah scrolls. Not too shoddy, by the way. If you've ever seen one, that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good heft. Uh, along came the early Zionist thinkers. They were tired of scrawny Jewish guys whose lunch money was being stolen by anti-Semites. Max Nordau, in particular, decided the Jews should become committed to bodybuilding and athletics. He wanted a quote-unquote muscular Judaism. That's a, that's a, we need a muscular Lutheranism. I'm working on it. I don't know what you're doing, but we, uh, we've got uh, the, like the strongest man in the world is a Lutheran pastor. We do. That's a, that's some guy like who like that. toes toes. Boats and trucks with his yeah, teeth he and pulls stuff. a yeah. Queen Mary with his big toe, or and 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 that's how we got the Maccabea, the Maccabea Games, the international athletic competition, the Jewish Olympics, which still enshrines the name of those ancient fighters who were quote unquote real men. 
So there you go. <laughs> no, 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 uh, no, no funny locks on them. I'll tell you, a muscular Judaism. Right. Uh, it's a Zionist thing. American Jews have observed Hanukkah in some fashion since the time of the first settlement in the U.S. It was a nice holiday. But in the last 70 years, it's become much more important. Why? Because it's sim- is it simply the gifts and proximity of Christmas? No. We can trace the renewed popularity of Hanukkah to the creation of the modern state of Israel. Israel celebrated Jewish valor and survival and thus elevated Hanukkah from its position as a third-rate minor festival into something bigger and better. Interesting observation. Interesting observation that that and it is it being apocrypha uh, being being part of the apocrypha being sort of secondarily canonical um, it doesn't have the same level as you know Day of Atonement Passover uh, you know the, the the big holidays in the Old Testament. So can it, uh, and then lastly, it may be the most important holiday in the Western world, but it's a minor holiday. Not or, anymore. Had the well, Maccabees the lost the battle to the forces of Hellenism, Judaism might have vanished, along with a bunch of other ancient Middle Eastern religions. Had the Jews disappeared, there would have been no Jesus of Nazareth, no Christianity, says the article. Well, that's kind of debatable. But see, I think I think that point is is really, it says we'd all be wearing togas now, and musica would be the American national diet. I suppose you could do worse. But but uh, um, that's that's why Christians can rejoice in Hanukkah. This is God's preservation of his people. The remnant. The, yeah, and, and, and uh, awaiting the fullness of time. The Israel had basically gone into obscurity. It was just this vassal nation. Uh, you know, the, the, the temple was a shoddy reconstruction. The priesthood was questionable. There was no ark in the Holy of Holies. The glory had departed from the temple. Um, you know, there's not much of Israel left, and yet God maintains this. Until you know, the, until the fullness of time, you know he it, it he was, had another 167 years. It's <laughs> not yet. <laughs> it was after this, really. Part of what set all this up were was that uh, people were buying and selling the office of the high priest, and well, it was a political appointment. Uh, Herod appointed the priest, right? Anas and and some of these guys uh, set up gymnasiums, which were more than just a place to work out. There was pagan ritualism going on, all this kind of stuff. And the high priests were endorsing this stuff. And that's what kind of opened the door to revolution and people getting worked up. Then in response, Antiochus Epiphanes says, set up our gods in in their temple. Uh, Alexander the Great was pretty tolerant from what I understand religiously. But then Antiochus Epiphanes comes along and he, he starts desecrating the temple and that really sets it off. But from this time forward... The Jews were very, very strict Yahwehists. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they. After this, they wouldn't tolerate false gods anymore. And you see Pilate getting in trouble for this sort of thing, and and you know their their reaction. But a lot of this goes back to the Maccabees and to this revolution. Well, and yeah, a, a couple of things. First of all, you know Antiochus is going to be a problem when he takes on the name Epiphanes. You right. know, Epiphany. It's a manifestation of a god. He thinks he's divine. And and so so you, there you know the guy's going to be a problem from the outset. Uh, the other thing is that I think the Maccab- the Maccabean revolt really kind of sets the stage for the messianic expectation that Jesus basically appears right in the middle of. Mm-hmm. You know, because at the time of Jesus, there were probably at least four or five other good candidates for Messiah floating around. Uh, Gamaliel mentions a couple of them in Acts. 
Um, I think Barabbas was one of them. I, I think I think Barabbas, the guy that went free when Jesus was crucified, was probably one of these messianic contenders. And they all modeled themselves after Judah Maccabee and 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 the and the Maccabean brothers. You know, they, these were these were strong military leaders, Braveheart types. And uh, their their intent was overthrow is to to basically uh, overthrow the Roman government and uh, establish the Davidic throne again. They were always pushing on these buttons, and so in a sense, um, the Maccabean uh, revolt and the the recapture of the temple kind of sets the stage for Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem and his the, they're hailing him with hosannas and calling him you know uh, the son of David and. Uh, Blessing the kingdom of our father David. Uh, this is this is all kind of part and parcel of what's in the water and the air at the time. So we've talked about the uh, a little bit about the atheists. Uh, now we've talked about the Jews and Hanukkah. We didn't really get into the solstice of the atheists. I have a three minute audio clip about another very important holiday that comes up this time of year. Uh, so listen to this for just a moment. In theory. Five things you should know about Festivus, the holiday for the rest of us. One, while it first came to the attention of most of America by way of the December 18, 1997 episode of Seinfeld, the celebration of a holiday called Festivus is part of human history throughout the ages, most notably in ancient Rome, 19th century California, and upstate New York in the 1960s. Two, on that episode of Seinfeld, George Costanza's father, Frank, claimed to have invented the December 23rd holiday Festivus when his children were young and he found himself in a department store tug-of-war with another Christmas shopper for a doll. I realized there had to be a better way, Frank recounted. Three, enter Festivus. Devoid of religious connection and yet somehow affiliated with the idea of celebrating something or another, Festivus is the perfect nothing that avoids excluding anyone. Plus, this alternative holiday to Christmas, Hanukkah, and Kwanzaa replaces a tinsel-laden tree with a cheap decorating scheme. Buy a pole, make it stand up, and the party is good to go. Four. Though there are no gifts required or expected, the holiday can accommodate the exchange of items like chapsticks left in pockets from long-ago ski trips, balky handcuffs, and annoying talking dolls, all of which seem to establish a universal festivist gift creed. Give only something you don't want that you expect the recipient doesn't want either. 5. At the festivist party, gushing to someone that their aluminum pole is a real nice pole mocks all the times people feel social pressure to make comments like, Nice above-ground pool, Mike. Eventually, most festivist nights veer straight into the meat of the matter, the moment that never seems to come at proper social occasions. People telling others what they really think of them. This is the airing of grievances. Like everything else, Festivus, the AOG has evolved some wild variations, but the core of it remains lashing into others and the world about how they have been disappointments. When all who care to have taken a turn griping, there is no required hugging or making up. That said, it is no mere coincidence that wrestling and other fury-absorbing feats of strength generally follow immediately after the AOG. The celebration does not end until the head of the family is wrestled to the floor and pinned. Gather 
poor young wishers. Gather round in the thought show watchers. Gather round the rest of us. The time has come for festivals. Another important holiday to remember this time of year. <laughs> I really look forward to the airing of grievances. As do I, and I look forward to it this year, Bill. You've disappointed me in many ways, <laughs> oh, yeah, and no, I no really, doubt. really look forward. They line to up. They line that. up to air grievances about me. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> glad that the church doesn't celebrate this. Yeah. Pastors, although I, I go think, on for a week. With I pastors. think my district does. I, my, my district has <laughs> always has the annual airing of grievances. Um, <laughs> the um, I, and I'm training for the feats of strength. I'm going to be much better prepared this year for feats of strength than I have in previous festivuses. Yes, you're you're down what 85 pounds now? Oh yeah, Thir- right? 30 actually. I'm, I I now That's weigh what my driver's license said I weighed when I lied back in 1992. So. <laughs> Not too bad. Well, congratulations. Well done, sir. Thank you. And uh, I, I have yet to try on my wedding suit. I want to see if I fit. I have it in the closet. It's the suit that I got married in. And uh, um, it should work uh, it, if, 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 if weight and, and, and general size correspond at all. I should be able to get into that thing. So uh, we'll, the, we'll see The problem I have is if I got down to a good fighting weight, I'm afraid that my birthday suit would be loose. <laughs> well, so there uh... might be that. I, I don't <laughs> Um, hey, I've been reading a book, um, yeah. and, and I'd really like to uh, to commend this, uh, especially at this time of year. Uh, it comes out of, out of the category of social science. I, I don't really know who Clement Miles was, uh, unfortunately. I think he was some kind of social scientist or sociologist. Uh, but he wrote a book, and and this was a long time ago. This is a this is a, a, a oh I just lost my page. Um, this is a Dover edition reprint. Uh, but the original book was was published in 1912 under the title Christmas in Ritual and Tradition, Christian and Pagan. Uh, its republication title is Christmas Customs and Traditions, Their History and Significance. Um, fascinating book. This is like the coolest book I've ever seen. I, I got onto this last year when, you know, you know how the, the every t- you get the pagan roots people. Uh, they show right, up on Facebook. Yeah. Don't celebrate Christmas. It's pagan. Don't celebrate Easter. It's pagan. Blah blah. Yeah, whatever. They, they get a lot of their data from this, but it's it's basically quote mined. It, it's not it's not really there's it, it's not quoted correctly because um, Miles has no dog in the hunt. He's just fascinated by all things Christmas and wants to kind of explore where where all this stuff comes from. But but he's not. If something has a pagan connotation, he doesn't care, and 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 he thinks it's all really quaint and cool and fun, and he thinks the Germans and the English really nail Christmas. Uh, he says, especially he says the Germans are very Christmas people. But I learned a couple of things about the Christmas tree that I just wanted to share here. Um, there's a there's a fairly long section on the tree. Um, there is no record of a Christmas tree uh, before the 17th century. Uh, which means Luther did not invent the Christmas tree. That's legend. Uh, but I, there, I had heard that he was the first to put the candles on the tree. No, 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 that's, no. That's legend too. That's no, no candles, no nothing. Uh, th- this, this, this does not. I did find an interesting substitute, which segues from the uh, Festivus thing. A common substitute for the Christmas tree in Saxony in the 19th century, and still found in many country country places, is the so-called pyramid. A wooden construction adorned with many colored paper and with lights. 
the Christmas pyramid. It's like the Festivus pole almost, um, but it's it's an adorned pyramid. Uh, I've never seen one, but um, but it, here's but here's here's the thing: this business of bringing trees into the house. Okay, apparently this is really really common. Uh, and it can have Christian connotations or not Christian connotations, but but it's very common to bring uh, some kind of a plant indoors and that blossoms at New Year's or at Christmas. Now, in the Roman Empire, uh, Miles says uh, the Roman Empire was in part responsible for the German Christmas tree. It did originate in Germany, but in the 17th, not the 16th century, so not Luther. Uh, the practice of adorning houses with evergreens at the January Calends was common throughout the empire, as we learn from Labanius, Tertullian, and Chrysostom. A grim, den- grim, mind you, denunciation of such decorations and the lights which accompany them may be quoted from Tertullian. It makes a pregnant contrast of pagan and Christian. Tertullian writes, let them, uh, that is the heathen, kindle lamps. They have no light. Let them fix on the doorpost laurels, which shall afterwards be burnt. Uh, they for whom fire is close at hand. Meet for them as testimonies of darkness and auguries of punishment. But thou, he says to the Christian, art, our, art a light for the world and a tree that is evergreen. If thou hast renounced temples, make not a temple of thine own house door. So he's referring to the placing of uh, wreaths, laurel wreaths on, on the doors at the January calends. Uh, but so there was, a, there was a practice in paganism, denounced by Tertullian, Chrysostom, and, and, and other authors. But there's another thing that goes with it alongside, and this, this is what I found really fascinating. Certain Christian ideas, finally, besides that of trees blossoming on the night of nativity, may have affected the fortunes of the Christmas tree. December 24th was, in old church calendars, the day of Adam and Eve. The idea being that Christ the second Adam had repaired by his incarnation the loss caused by the sin of the first Adam. A legend grew up that Adam, when he left paradise, took with him an apple or a sprout from the tree of knowledge, and that from this sprang the tree from which the cross was made. Or it was said that on Adam's grave grew a sprig from the tree of life, and that from it Christ plucked the fruit of redemption. That could be why you see the skull of Adam under the cross of Christ in the iconography. Hmm. Uh, The cross in early Christian poetry was conceived as the tree of life planted anew, bearing the glorious fruit of Christ's body and repairing the mischief wrought by the misuse of the first tree. We might recall a verse from the Pange lingua of passion tide, faithful cross above all other, one and only noble tree, none in foliage, none in blossom, none in fruit thy pure may be, sweetest wood and sweetest iron, sweetest weight is hung on thee. Um, and so the it was common apparently to bring like juniper trees and adorn them with apples and ribbons. You see, our ornaments are just sort of substitute fruit. But the idea of the tree of paradise, the paradisical tree, and, and, and uh, you know, with its fruit and season, 12 months out of the year, Revelation, uh, this factored into uh, the use of the Christmas tree as well and the, the tie-in of Christ as the one who, um, you know, undoes the sin of Adam. So there's a lot of complicated stuff going on that, that kind of worked into bringing Christmas trees as part of uh, the symbolism of Christmas.
Maybe the forbidden fruit is actually a pine cone. <laughs> Boy, that would have been nasty to eat, huh? <laughs> yeah, I don't think that uh, Adam would have seen that, or Adam and Eve would have seen that the fruit was good for eating either at that point. I just picked That's, up two trees. Yeah. I, I always get, every year I get the, the I borrow my neighbor's pickup truck, uh, and then I get a, a tree for the house and a tree for the church. So I got this humongous tree for the church. I couldn't find one. I need a skinny one because I don't have a lot of chancel space. So I've got this enormous tree. This is going to lengthen communion because uh, I think about four sp- four slots at the communion rail are going to be just <laughs> taken out by the Christmas tree this year. But These are- things happen. You know, since this is the holiday edition, I decided to look and see if there are any Islamic uh, holidays in December. And and it's very interesting. There is one, and I'll probably mispronounce it, Mawlid, M-A-W-L-I-D. Yeah. And uh, it, it seems to jump around. This year it's January 13th, but next year it's December 23rd, which is also Festivus. And this celebrates the birth of Muhammad. Oh, so, okay. Oh, Muhammad's birth. Uh, <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> kind of, kind of edging it close there, huh? Yeah. So uh, anyway, just, just. I wonder that if there, that's since coincidental. Since <laughs> I wonder if that's historical or intentional. I mean, which let's 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 think about. It. That's uh, obviously on a that's obviously on a lunar calendar too. If it's bouncing we around, we need to get uh, Adam Francisco to chime in on this one I, as, as well as I'm, I'm sure it. he would. But but uh, you know how risky does uh, does KFUO want to go? Uh, that's really the question. Well, I have bulletproof glass here, or at least that's what Matt Harrison tells me. But uh, I, it's thick. I, let's let's suffice to say it's soundproof. There, there are two panes, so probably the first shot won't get me. Maybe the second one depends on caliber, I suppose. Right, right. Hey, we just have about uh, two three minutes left. Okay. Uh, do you want to do a quick email, or what do you want to do? A quick email. Yeah, we could do that. Let's uh, go to the mailbag quickly. Um, that guy was for his email. Brought to you by various holidays around. There you go. Uh, let's see. I, I'm having. I gotta. I gotta call up my window here. I wasn't ready for that segue. Oh, just threw that at you. Yeah, you did, and uh, you caught me. Uh, where's my viewer window? Come on, there it is. Okay, and here we go. I hear about how technology and I don't get along. That you don't. Um, hmm. I'm gonna save the uh, Tabitha. Tabitha's got a lot to say about organ uh, playing, but I'm gonna save that for next week. Okay. All right. Uh, she's uh, responding to stuff we said. Um, hello, pastors. Swirl and Dilfer. I'm a fairly recent convert to Lutheranism after a Baptist and evangelical upbringing by way of Gene Veith, spirituality, the cross, issues, etc., and even you guys. My question is this. How can new Lutherans be effective agents of change within a local congregation without stepping on too many toes and alienating the local cradle Lutherans? My biggest disappointment has been that my local congregation is quite often just not very Lutheran. There are five adult Sunday school classes. They're all studying non-Lutheran materials under the suggestion and encouragement of the pastor. We all, we only receive communion every other week, and sometimes it's even longer. I've even heard leaders in the congregation express that since they're grown children, now mostly attend evangelical and contemporary worship churches, that we should become more like them in order to keep the kids from leaving. And the list goes on. My wife and I have sometimes attended the high school Sunday school class where at least the youth, the young associate pastor from Fort Wayne, yay, actively teaches Lutheran doctrine. I fear that I may have alienated longtime members by expressing my frustrations about this at times. It sometimes seems like they want to incorporate the very doctrines and practices Practices. I was glad to leave behind in evangelicalism. Sometimes I just want to thump them over the head with a book of Concord and say, wake up! Being Lutheran is so much better than all that revivalistic, pietistic, synergistic drivel. Keep up the good work. So, um, you came it, out of that. Yeah, my, my question would be, is there a Lutheran Lutheran church near you? 
that that would be my first question. Well, the other, uh, I, I, you know, when I came into Lutheranism, I ran into this, and I had to leave a church because, as I was running away from contemporary worship, they were running away from the liturgy. And we met somewhere in the middle, and they kept going, and I kept going, and I just had to, after about two years of fighting with a pastor, I had to say, well, I have to go to a Lutheran church now, and uh, I can't stay in this one. Uh, because they were doing Benny Hinn junk and all sorts of weird craziness. As a lifer cradle Lutheran, I, I would say this. Um, you can be an agent of change in this way by continually extolling the gifts that you have received and come to appreciate in the Lutheran church. Uh, one of the problems that we have when, we, you know, we Lutherans don't get out much, so we don't know what's out there. We have no idea what it's like to live uh, in an, an in an asacramental world, a world that has no body and blood, a world that does not draw its identity from baptism. We don't know what that's like. You do. And so talk about that actively, especially in personal conversation, and literally gush about how good it is in the Lutheran Church that these gifts are highlighted and central. I think that'll go a long way. Pure, unadulterated gospel kills pietism and all that garbage. we got to run. Thanks for listening to the God Whispers. We'll catch you next time. Good night, sleep tight, and pleasant dreams to you. Reverend Matthew Harris.